If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As you know, we've we looked at hell, we looked at heaven, we looked at what we were going to be like in heaven, we looked at heaven just itself for a little bit. We know that there's going to be perfection there. Perfection of our soul, perfection of our body. Perfect fellowship. By the way, we have to think on these things. Seek those things which are above. Right? Set your mind on, on, on the affections that God would want in your heart. It's not true to say that if you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You've got to be heavenly minded. And so we want to be heavenly minded. And I, and, I, and I want to end this mini-series, as it were, with looking at the judgment seat of Christ. And actually, it's going to be broken up into three parts. Today, then we have Christmas service next week, and then New Year's, we're going to look at it again. Then I'm going to be gone for a couple weeks, and then when I come back the last week, we'll, we'll, we'll have, as it were, the third installment. Why? Because it is critical that we have a really good understanding of the judgment seat. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're one who have put your faith and trust, you've received him, he's given you the right to be called sons of God. But there's coming a day of judgment. There's coming a day of evaluation. There's coming a day of reward. And Paul often spoke of it as that day. That day, that day when, when he stood before Christ and what drove him to be faithful. One of the main reasons was he knew he was going to stand before the master one day. And so we want to be faithful and, and therefore we need to be informed. <laughs> we need to be informed as to what is going to take place. And again, I, I've, always, I've been interested as I've been studying this that uh, how much it's talked about. It's just talked about many times in passing. But the idea is the concept's there. So imagine this. Staring into the face of Christ. Just the two of you, one on one. Your entire life is present before you. In a flash, you see what he sees. By the way, no hiding. No opportunity to put a better spin on what you did or didn't do. No attorney is going to be there to represent you. Just the look in his eyes, says it all. Like it or not, that is precisely where you and I shall be someday. We will stand before the Lord. It is very, very um, evident in Scripture. Now again, if, you, if you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he actually specifies, in fact, I'll just read verse 10. We're going to be looking back in a moment. But I want you to see verse 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. If you've got a highlight or something, I'd encourage you to highlight that right there. Judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. By the way, that word bad means worthless. I'm not going to really cover that today. But it's not evil. It's not the word poneros, which means evil. In fact, there's a couple Greek words for evil. That just means worthless. Evil was covered by the blood of Christ. But we can operate in the realm of worthlessness as it pertains to reward. We can operate in the realm where we're not going to get anything for the actions done. 
But again, this is the judgment seat. Now, as soon as you see that word judgment seat of Christ, we have to first of all define what it isn't. This is not the, the uh, great, great white throne. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. If you, you don't have to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 20, we see the great white throne in verses 11 through 15. And what we learned a few weeks ago was the great white throne was where unbelievers we're going to be judged. See, there's two judgments that Jesus Christ sits at. One is the great white throne for unbelievers. The other one just judgment seat of Christ, which is for believers. In fact, it says that in verse 20 of Revelation, him who sat on the throne in verse 12, and I saw the dead, small and great. Again, these are the unsaved. And the books were open, and another book was open, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And the other book that was open was the book of life. And verse 15 says this, And anyone, means all, not, not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. And I believe, again, I think it's very clear in Scripture that you see two judgments. One is the great white throne. This is the one where unbelievers stand before the Lord. Their works, because they've never received Christ, they've never been forgiven, are judged. They are cast alive in the lake of fire. And there are, by the way, degrees of judgment. Degrees of punishment in hell. By the way, just like there are degrees of reward in heaven, our works matter. Except for a believer, our sins have been covered by the blood, have been forgiven because of the death of Christ. But there's still work to be done and rewards to be given according to those works. And that's the judgment seat of Christ for the believer. So again, the judgment seat is not the great white throne. That's something entirely different for a different group of people, the unbelievers. This is the judgment seat. By the way, the word judgment is the word in, it, bima. Literally, if you look it up in Greek, bima, bima seat. For we shall all stand before the bima seat of Christ so that we might receive the things that are done in the body. One man said this, the person I am becoming today is preparing me for the person I shall be for all eternity. What you are today, what you're becoming today, what you're accomplishing through the grace of God, through the Spirit of God today is preparing you, what you will, for what you will have for all eternity. So every day we live is not just like, you know, well, whatever. In fact, that's why though you can go on vacation physically, don't ever go on vacation spiritually. <laughs> you can't go on vacation when it comes to spiritually. In fact, I encourage you to do this. If you are on vacation, set a spiritual goal during. I'm looking forward to being gone for a couple of weeks, but I was telling my wife, I've got already my plans, what I'm going to read, and what I'm going to meditate, what I'm going to study. There's no vacation. If you think there's a spiritual vacation, Satan has just got you. You've got to be real careful. Now again, what I want to do is get a context to, to chapter 5, verse 10, that verse I just read to you. So let's go back to chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to give you a, a, a chapter and a half just very quickly, just to kind of get pieces along the way, because it's leading up to something. Uh, Paul had been talking to the Corinthians. I'm not going to get into anything beyond verse uh, chapter 4, verse 1, but he says, Therefore, based on everything he had said, since we have this ministry, we, uh, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Now, Paul's point of chapter 4 is, and you see it in verse 1 and 16, he's not going to lose heart. Do you ever lose heart? Do you ever grow weary in doing well? 
You ever get like tired of just serving God? Like, is it really worth it? Like, I thought that if I walked with Jesus, these things were going to be in my life, and i.e. they're all blessings. And you know what? It turns out that it's not always easy, right? It's not easy to walk with the Lord. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to, to get wearied. And so Paul sets aside this chapter leading up to verse 10 of chapter 5 and talks about, hey, don't get weary. We don't get weary because we have a ministry. Notice verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, the Lord. By the way, if you want to get some real motivation, remember who you serve, the Lord. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. But then you have to ask the question, do you want to see the power of God in your life? Do you want to see the power of God in your life? Look at the next verse after him proclaiming that, that we have the power of God. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed, perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed. See, in this earthen vessel, we have the excellence of the power that may be of God. But if God's going to show his power, you know what he's going to put you through at times? He's going to put you through those times where you're hard-pressed, where you're perplexed, where you're persecuted, where you're struck down. The point is, though, it's not going to be final. Why? So verse 10, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. If we just had an easy life and no problems and no hurts and no trials, then Jesus Christ could not be uh, magnified. Like when we go through uh, problems and trials and he is the center and it becomes very obvious that we live for someone other than ourselves. Look at verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Yeah, and, what, and when the afflictions that we have, verse 17, are light. Some of us are in affliction, but you may not see it as light. We need to get God's perspective. It's light. In comparison to the eternal weight of glory, the end of that verse. So we don't look at the things that are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. Boy, it's hard to keep that perspective, isn't it? I can preach it, I can tell you, but it's hard. It's hard. But we've got to keep getting our perspective. We've got to keep putting on those glasses that sees eternity. Now, that brings us to chapter 5. And here he's talking about our earthly house, our body, that is slowly like a tent is being destroyed. But wait. Last part of verse 1, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. We look forward to the time when we get a glorified body. You see what he's just done? Don't lose heart. Don't grow weary in doing well. Keep your eyes focused on eternity. Keep your eyes focused on whatever affliction we have is light. But you know what? Some people go through very hard times. I was reading about the pastor in Iran. Have you been following him? Eight, 15 months, I think it is. He's been uh, tortured. I mean, very, very, very difficult. And yet I was also reading another article where he was still ministering for the Lord. Can you imagine his weight of glory? Yes, 18 months, 15 months he's been. Can you imagine the billions of years that he's going to enjoy as he stays faithful? So, so look at this. Look at what Paul says. Verse 5, for 
Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. God is on our side. The Spirit is within us. He's guaranteed our future home. We're confident. That's why, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, we're confident, yes, well, pleased rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. For sure, <laughs> I certainly want to be with the Lord, but if he keeps us here, verse 9, we're going to make it our goal. This is, by the way, the priority ambition. This is the priority target to be pleasing to him. We have to be pleasing to him. Is your life pleasing to Jesus Christ? Is there something that he has been knocking on your heart? Give it up and you still say no? By the way, at times I go through those times. But it's worth giving it up. It's worth walking with him. Why? Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It is worth walking with him. Because we will be rewarded. And again, what we call the bema. The Bema seat, the judgment seat. By the way, the Bema seat was just a raised platform. In fact, I'm going to read right out of the MacArthur Study Bible. He says this, The judgment seat, metaphorically, refers to the place where the Lord will sit to evaluate believers' lives for the purpose of giving them eternal reward. Again, it's translated Bema, which was an elevated platform where the victorious athletes, like during the Olympics went to receive their crowns. The term is also used in the New Testament to refer to the place of judging, as when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate. But here, the reference is definitely from the athletic analogy. Corinth had such a platform, again, he's writing to the Corinthians, Corinth had such a platform where both athletic rewards and legal justice, both of them, athletic reward, legal justice, were dispensed. So again, the Corinthians understood this very well raised, the athletes would go to receive their reward. By the way, theirs was just, uh, you know, leaves <laughs> that were going to die. And yet Paul says in Corinthians 9, we, we're going to have a reward that's incorruptible. It won't perish. So that's what he's referring to, is this judgment scene. He might say, well, give me some of the who, what, and why, you know, type of thing. Well, again, the who, who's going to be, it's going to be believers, not unbelievers, that's a great white throne. Believers, If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if your sins have been forgiven by him and brought into the family, you will be here. In fact, that's why I wrote at the top of your outline, you'll be there. We're going to be there. It's not like some of us get a pass. You're going to stand. And I'm going to show you in a moment. I believe it's just you and the judge, which is Christ himself. Just, just the two of you. Not like, you know, it's not going to be a group. This is one place where you're not going to have a herd mentality. Just you and him. You're going to stand there. Well, who else is going to be there? Obviously, judgment seat of Christ. When are we going to be there? Well, it says those things that are done in the body, which means it has to be after those things that are done in the body. And I believe this, that the judgment seat will happen right after the rapture, before the great supper of the Lamb. Okay? And again, you might say, well, I don't even know what you mean by supper of the Lamb. But the, the point is, is that uh, it's going to happen right after you get raptured, right after we see him. All right, that's the point. And then, where? Remember we talked about the great white throne, that the heaven and earth fled away, and the great white throne uh, apparently happens not on, in heaven even. It's just there. <laughs> but here, apparently, it's in heaven. He's taken us to his home. The judgment seat will be there. And I'm just kind of giving you pieces. Like I said, we have two more messages 
that we're going to be looking at different aspects. But just know this, that it's, it's going to be Christ, we're going to be there, and it's just one-on-one. Did you ever hear about the boy who failed all his college work? I thought this was a good illustration for that. A lot of you kids are home from school, college and stuff. It's good to see you. But this boy, apparently, he didn't do his homework all semester. And he wired his mother, and he said this, quote, failed everything, prepare Papa. His mother wired back, Papa prepared, prepare yourself. I think we need to prepare ourselves because we're going to stand there. By the way, I keep using the word reward, and if, you, if you're in, uh, well, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians, which is the, like obviously the book before this, he also talks about reward. It's interesting that Paul tw- talked twice to this group of people about the reward. <clears throat> and in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse, I believe it's 14, It says this, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. The word is mythos. But but I, I want you to understand that there's a difference between the reward that's given at the judgment seat and in your inheritance. This is very, very important. See, even though the judgment seat of Christ should make any believer very sober, as it pertains to walking with him. I want you to understand that when we die and go to heaven, it's a day of giving. <laughs> you think Christmas is a great day of giving? This is a day of giving. And the difference between, there's a difference between Christ's reward that he's going to give at the judgment seat and the inheritance. He talks about inheritance like in First Peter chapter 1. Uh, MacArthur says this, and I think he's exactly, because I, I, I kept going back and forth, because I was wondering about this, so I actually had to do some research about, okay, is there a difference? Is it just the reward? Is that all we're going to, or is there more? And he says this, quote, our inheritance is something entirely different from our rewards. Our eternal inheritance is not merited by works, nor is it apportioned uh, a according to them. The Apostle Paul ties our inheritance to our adoption, that's Romans chapter 8, that we've been adopted in. An inheritance, by definition, is not a reward for merit earned. It's a birthright. When, when it talks about you've been adopted into the family, that means you're going to get an inheritance. That is not what we're talking about when we say the judgment seat of Christ, and then there will be rewards. See, there's going to be an inheritance given, and then there are rewards on top of that. Furthermore, there was a significant difference between Roman law and Jewish custom. See, with the Jews, the oldest son got a double inheritance. You understand that. But this, he's, he's writing to Romans. I mean, not in the book of Romans, but I'm saying the Roman people, the Roman mentality. Under the Roman system, all children could receive equal shares. So when Paul talks in Romans chapter 8, if children then joint heirs with Christ, he was addressing a Roman audience. The context indicates his emphasis was on the equality of God's children and the security of every Christian's inheritance. So plainly, Scripture is teaching that all Christians will receive a full share of the inheritance in heaven. And we've looked at some of that. That's the inheritance. Every believer will inherit all things, Revelation 21 says. Our possessions, our place, our fellowship, all those things are part of the inheritance. 
See, we've been brought into the family. God is our father. And when we get to heaven, there's a, a share, an equal share, emphasize, an equal secure share of in our inheritance. So we have inheritance. By the way, can you say thank you, Lord, for that? If you're a believer in him, that you will be there and it will be an equal share of the inheritance. But now we want to move and we want to look at something other than that, and that is our rewards. See, inheritance equal, now we have rewards. And let's just look at some of the characteristics found just out of 2 Corinthians 5. Again, there's a number of other passages, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 3. We're not going to look at those. Those are for future weeks. I just want to break this passage apart, just this one verse, okay? Again, verse 9, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. I want to walk today, I want to walk pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because i got to stand before him. I want to make this day count for eternity. The first thing is this, and these are just characteristics of the judgment. The first thing it says, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So the idea is this, we will be judged. There's no, like, option. Well, I got sick that day. I couldn't show up for the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> no, <laughs> we have a perfected body. Uh, we must, necessarily, we have to. Not an option. Romans 14, verse 10. You just write this down. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the all is, again, Christians. Christians. Those, I believe, who are saved in the um, church age. And, I, and again, I believe there's other judgments for the, um, the tribulation saints. I haven't decided on the Old Testament saints yet. So when I keep saying Christian, I believe it's just for the church, as I've read and studied and thought. But, you know, don't come up to me later and say, what about the Old Testament saints? I'm still trying to figure that out. But... But this is what we need to figure out. We, we for sure know it's a church. And I can say when we stand before him and we will be judged, there's no special exceptions, no special deferment. <laughs> you can't hide, can't scheme. Some of us have been good at maybe scheming to get out of things. Can't get out of this one. Can't excuse ourselves. By the way, this also, we can't blame someone else. It will happen. It will happen to us. So we will be judged. How about number two? We will be judged fairly. Fairly. You know, it's great that Christ, who knows us completely and loves us completely, even in spite of ourselves, right? I mean, let's think of who we're talking about. I am so thankful that it says the judgment seat of Christ. Thank you. Thank you that the one who is going to be evaluating me is the one who died for me. Because I am a failure so many times. I find in my Christian life, though I, I believe I know much and though I'm moving forward, I still stumble. Do you find yourself still stumbling? And you can get so excited in one moment of serving him and worshiping him. By the way, how was your worship this last week? Because worthy is the lamb. But again, so quickly we can turn and our words are not appropriate to being servants of Christ and our actions and our thoughts. Thankfully, it's him 
Yes, if I, if I need to be judged, let it be by him. Let it be by the one who died for me. Let it be for the one, the one who took my sin and bore it on the cross. Let it be him. And because it's Christ, again, this is not judicial. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is not for judicial punishment. This is not punishment here. This is evaluation. Huge difference. Huge difference. My condemnation, my damnation for sin was placed on him on the cross. No, this is for evaluation. See, we're judged by our Savior. I like how one man put it. The Christ of the throne is the Christ of the cross. Oh, that's worth highlighting right there. See, that's who's, that's who's judging us. And, and though we won't have time, look up the idea of reward. It's, it's all over Scripture. In fact, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, many times he says something like this, and great is your reward. He keeps putting this out. Do it for the right motivation, because great is your reward. God wants to reward. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, like I said, we'll probably look at that at, in future weeks. As I was looking up the word reward, I noticed that there was, again, three different Greek words for it. Uh, Sometimes it just had to do with giving something, but this particular one that appears over and over again that we see in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that we just read, again, is the word misthos. Now, this is why it's important. It's something dues paid for work. Now, I I want you to get this. Dues paid for work. See, in the Christian mind, if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you understand that that you are not saved because of your works, right? But by grace are you saved through faith and not not of yourself. It's a, what? Gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Sometimes we forget verse 10, though, that we were created, what, for good works. See, say, uh, works don't save us, but we're saved for good works. We're saved so that we might be able to produce good works. And you say, well, how can sinners who are still sinners yet saints be able to do that? By the power of the Spirit of God, walking in His grace. Now, I, I say all that because do you see how sometimes we might think, well, we're not saved by works, therefore works don't really matter. And that's exactly wrong. No, We're not saved by works, but works do matter after salvation. And so that's why we stand before Jesus Christ, our Savior. By the way, he also says he's not ashamed to call us even brothers. Think about that. When Jesus said in John 20, he said to Mary Magdalene, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. He's looking at her and he's saying, listen, even you, who the worst of sinners, as it were, you're part of my family. My father, your father. He's, he's our savior, he's our master, but he's not ashamed to call us brothers because he's brought us into his family. Yet we stand in his righteousness. So we're being judged by our savior and our brother. <laughs> he is merciful, he is fair. Because his father is our father. And really, what you could really say is this. The judgment seat of Christ is basically family business. <laughs> you know, once in a while, the, 
You know, okay, let's, let's have family business. This is family business as far as determining how we're going to be able to serve in our responsibilities in heaven. Now, it can be severe. Look at verse 11. You're in 2 Corinthians already. Look at verse, just the next verse. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Some versions say terror, some say fear. It's the word phobos. We get phobia. By the way, this, some would say, well, this is to unbelievers we persuade men. You know, knowing there, therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men. But you know, it's interesting that that same word in Colossians chapter 3, that word phobos, uh, in verse 22, it talks about, so Colossians 3.22, if you just write it down, it says, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And I think other versions say fearing Christ, God Christ. The, but the point is this, Christians are told to fear. Now again, it's not fear in the sense of terrorized, terrorized to the point where you become um, um, paralyzed, <laughs> terrorized makes you paralyzed, but it should be that we have a great awe, a great reverence, a great respect, knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing the fear of the Lord, knowing that we're going to have to do this, uh, persuade men. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm persuading you. If what I am saying is exactly true, I would hope that I'm persuading you to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, verse 9, right? Because we've got to stand before him. See, this judgment is fearful, <laughs> phobos. Why? Because it is, again, by the one who knows all. It is by the one who loves us, died for us, sacrificed himself for us, but also one who is fair and just and righteous. See, I think that's, it, I think one of the, the most disturbing things of the last 20 years is to see how many times a person that is clearly guilty is let go in our courts of law. Isn't that, isn't that just frustrating to you? To see justice maligned and, you know, basically dirt thrown on it just because you hired a great lawyer. But when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, there's no other lawyer there. Only the one that truly knows. That should make fear, Right? can't slip something by him he knows all and he's just <laughs> that's not to say by the way that you can't have confidence in this i say i don't want you to walk away saying well brother you know i guess we're just gonna all be you know chop meat or whatever <laughs> uh second timothy chapter four i do want you to see this one second timothy chapter four paul is at the end of his life this is the last uh uh, epistle that he writes to Timothy, and I want you to just see what he says. Verse 6, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. That's part of sacrifice for the Lord. And the time of my departure is ha at hand. What do you mean? You're leaving Rome? No, I'm leaving this earth. I fought a good fight. Can we say that? See, this is so encouraging because sometimes, you know, well, no matter what I do, it's going to be less than. Let's see how Paul says it. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Isn't that great? This is a man who is victorious. This is a man who is confident in the life he lived because he knew the grace of God. That w Look at the verse 8. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. Now notice he's using the right righteous. Sometimes you wouldn't want to use, ooh, he's righteous, therefore I failed. No, no. He is confident, but he says he's the righteous judge will give me 
on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. See, I wanted to insert that thought because I don't want you to get like, oh, brother, another depressing message. Can't live up to the standard. No, 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 no. Paul is excited. (laughs) I have fought a good fight. I am out of breath, and my departure is at hand, but I have walked with Jesus. Hey, Paul, have you been perfect this? No, no, the righteousness of Christ covers me, but I have kept my eye on the goal to please him. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to reward day. So, the first two things, we will be judged, we'll be judged fairly. Let's look at a third point. We will be judged impartially. Kind of already covered that. But you know, it says that Romans 2, verse 11, for there is no partiality with God. No partiality. And we know that Jesus Christ is the God-man. And therefore, we come before him. By the way, the Father judges all in the sense that he could, but John 5.22 says this, for the Father judges no one. See, he has chosen something. The Father has chosen, but has committed all judgment to the Son. The Father has committed. Now, if you commit something to someone else, it means that you had the option, but gave it to someone else. He has committed all the judgment to the Son. And as the Son, the Son of God, the eternal deity, the God-man, we know that this, this judgment will be impartial. That's good on both sides. It means that something we truly did for good will be rewarded, and something that didn't will be seen. See, we're going to be evaluated according to truth and reality and justice. There's, by the way, no special advantages given to the wealthy. Some of you are wealthy. No, no special advantage. In fact, they actually probably have a greater... By the way, we would all be considered wealthy. Most of us would be considered wealthy in this day and age. What do they say? Half the world lives on $2 or less? Yeah, we're very wealthy. But no special advantages because you walk in and you say, well, you know, I'm an American. Uh, no, there's no America at that, at that point. Um, those who, are, who counted on perks and power in this life find themselves stripped, as one man said, of every crutch. No, we just have to go. It's an impartial judge. By the way, nor will pastors and missionaries and those in what we would call full-time Christian service be given preferential treatment. You know, I'm not going to be given preferential treatment. The uh, Lee Ryan is not going to be given preferential treatment because he's been an elder of this church for how many years? <laughs> Couple. <laughs> no, in fact, James 3 says a very sobering thing. It says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. See, there's a greater potential for loss and a greater potential for reward. So you take both the negative and the positive. If you're a teacher and you say, why? Why why for teachers? Well, because you're handling the word of God and what is being said is going to affect lives. So, by the way, when you become a teacher, and by the way, we all are. You're a mother, you teach. If you're a father, you should be, right? Grandfather, I'm still teaching my little grandkids. Hopefully by my example and what I say. Understand that as we're passing the baton of truth, there's a greater judgment. You say you want to be a Sunday school teacher? I say, praise God. Don't let this terrify you, but you know what? Prepare. 
Make sure what you're saying is able to be said, thus saith the Lord. You counsel, make sure thus saith the Lord. Why? Because you're going to be held accountable of stricter judgment. I, I, you know what that does to me? Lord, help me. It wasn't until Friday afternoon. I had a whole different message prepared, by the way. Friday afternoon, I'm like, that's not the right one. It was, this was supposed to be part two. <laughs> but I said, you know, this needs to be said first, you know, because I had worked on this other message. And Why? Because I want to make sure I say it right, what he wants, because I've got to be held accountable. Yeah, you might not come back, and that would hurt me. <laughs> I don't want him as a teacher. I don't want him as a pastor. That hurts me a little, but you know what? I want to hear well done. So we got to understand that this is impartial. By the way, all of our works, not just teaching, but everything you do will be evaluated. It's not just your excitement and your enthusiasm and your focus. I'll tell you what the big one is going to be. Were you faithful to him in the process? Were you a glory hog? You know, just wanting glory, glory, glory? Or was it because, no, I'm doing this for him. Even if nobody sees, I'm okay with that because it's not about them, it's about you, Lord. And I know I can't do it. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm a sinner, but I'm a saint, and I need you desperately to work through me. Which means we're praying and depending and humble. See, that's what makes my work, your work, rewardable because you say like we're going to look next time at this big pile of rewards and then the fire comes through it's like a i mean i I understand the whole idea of fire (laughs) we had a fire what 10 years ago i think this year no 10 years ago last january and i saw all these things that i thought were really good you know like really gone just dust ashes and what wasn't ashes it stunk (laughs) because of that smell of fire so, so we just have to re- realize that this is the impartial judge and the fire of God. And How about the fourth one? We will be judged thoroughly. We must all appear. The word appear is the word phanero. It, mean, it means to make clear. The imagery is that we shall be turned inside out. By the way, that same word appears in Corinthians 3.13. Each one's work will become clear. So two different sides of this. We will be made clear and our works will be made clear. Philip Hughes, the commentator, says, quote, The word appear means to be laid bare, stripped of every outward facade of respectability. Some of us have a re- just a facade of respectability. We look good on the outward. This means we're going to be laid bare. And open, he goes on, and openly revealed in the full reality of one's character. All of our hypocrisies and our concealments, all of our secrets and intimate sins of thought and deed will be open to the scrutiny of Christ. By the way, let me just add one addendum. I do believe this, that when it comes to the sins, they are forgiven before we ever leave this earth, but in place there might be a blank screen. <laughs> Not that he's going to have a projector, but think of this, standing before the Lord, and you're giving account of the 25 years that you were a Christian. By the way, this is all from the time of birth, which is, I'm talking the new birth, to the time that you see Christ. But can you imagine living in sin for those years, maybe for two or three years, where you just, you were angry, you were rebellious, you were bitter, and you just weren't walking with Jesus, though you were saved, and when he reviews that part of your life, there's just a blank. 
See, because we're laid bare. God, Jesus knows whether or not we were truly walking with him and producing fruit that were, was acceptable to him. That's what uh, Hebrews 4.13 means. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We've got to give an account. It's laid bare. So, we find out that he's thorough. Two more. We will be judged individually. Is that a car? (laughs) Or is it just that I'm starting to get my ear? (laughs) You ever get that ringing in your ear? That didn't sound like a ring, though. (laughs) We'll be judged individually. That's the fifth characteristic. 2 Corinthians 5.10, again, that each one, each one. I like the idea of one. It's individually. We shall, be, we shall not be judged in mass, in a group. I believe it's one by one. By the way, the angels are not going to be there. I don't think even the angels. I, there's no indication in Scripture like the angels are going to be peering down and here's Jesus and John. And the angels are going to be taking notes. Gee, John Prince really wasn't that spiritual. And there's no indication that Donna Ryan's going to be there taking notes either. (laughs) And by the way, I won't be there when she's... No, it's just one-on-one. It seems to say that in a few places. Again, individually. No comparisons, therefore. No one to cover up for us. No ability for me to point to someone else. Or as one man said, in the choir of life, it's, it's easy to fake the words in life, but someday each of us will have to sing solo before Christ. It's a really revealing day. See, the Lord is so interested in the individual that even it says that our very hairs of our head are numbered. By the way, when he called Peter, Andrew, James, and John, when he called, he called them by a name. I believe that we're going to be also judged individually. Quote, the individual judgment of believers at the heavenly bema is a personal matter between servant and master. And I'm going to highlight that. We're going to see that at the end in just a couple minutes. Servant and master between creature and creator. Since in the past, Jesus Christ has dealt with us with personal matters in a personal way, we should expect that a matter of such private consequence as judging our stewardship of our lives would also be in a personal way. It's going to be just him and I. You and him. By the way, when we get to heaven, there's no such thing as time. Time is, you know, just this little thing called earth. So again, you say, well, how long is this going to take? It probably, it may happen like this. You know, it's hard to put time in there. But again, we're going to be able to be judged individually. Like with George Whitfield, the famous preacher. Uh, and by the way, Whitfield had just a profound, profound ministry uh, in the United States. He uh, was part of the Great Awakening. He was, again, one of the greatest preachers. But often he was embroiled in controversy. By the way, if you seek to do something, I mean, if, if God's working through you, you're going to have criticism. And George Whitfield had a lot of criticism. But this is what he said, would, uh, he hoped would be on his tombstone. Actually, it turned out that he didn't have this on his tombstone, but this is what George wanted, okay? This is, you know, when I die, just put this. 
Quote, Here lies George Whitfield. What sort of man he was, the great day will discover. I like that. That's right. Don't worry about what people think of you right now. That doesn't even matter. They're not even going to be there. Right? I mean, even if they're there, they're not going to be there when you, you and Christ. No, just worry about that day we'll discover. That's the judgment seat. Because really, it's only what Christ thinks is even important. By the way, that is so easy to say. Only what Jesus Christ thinks is really important. He's our greatest audience. He is John Prince's greatest audience. But you know what? I forget that very easy. <laughs> I want to be impressed. I want to impress others. The fear of man. Peer pressure, you know. Boy, if we get the judgment seat of Christ solid in our heart, we can walk with him because people, though we want to minister to people and love people, really what they think of me is immaterial. By the way, not only that, but if we really get a good grasp of the judgment seat of Christ, we won't judge others either. Not only what is coming in and how they think is not going to matter to us, but we're not going to have a tendency to judge them either. In fact, that's exactly what Paul was talking about in Romans 14. This, is, this had to do with meat offered to idols and, and that whole thing. But, but this is what Paul says. Now, just, just without giving you the entire context and all, he wrote in verse 10 this. But why do you judge your brother? You know, the weak were judging the strong, and the strong were judging the weak. I mean, weak and strong as far as spiritually. Why are you judging your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? He's talking to both groups. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Stop judging your brothers. I'm not saying that if someone's in sin, you don't judge them. Corinthians 5 is clear. Make sure you judge yourself. Matthew 7, take the you know, beam out of your own eye. But the point is, don't be looking around and saying, gee, I wonder why he cut his hair. Gee, why does he have an earring? Why does she wear that? Boy, they don't seem to be very committed. They don't come to home group. Boy, I keep asking him to go to men's prayer, but he doesn't. He must not be committed. You know what? Stop judging. Maybe you could say it this way. Stop judging, start loving. <laughs> just one little amen out there. <laughs> I don't even know who said it. <laughs> Why? Look at this, verse 11. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. This is not Philippians. This is found in the Old Testament. Philippians 2 also uh, 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 writes this and every tongue shall confess to God so that each of us shall give, us, give an account of himself to God Lord you know and I don't <laughs> that's the point so I'm not going to judge now again if I see somebody in obvious sin sure I'm going to judge that and go because I'm trying to rescue that's obvious but I'm not going to try to judge motivation can't do that but you know what you'll know and, and by the way, and I hope that what they're doing is right. I want the best for them. So it's individually and then finally graciously that each one may receive the things done in the body. Those are the good works found in Ephesians 2. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. So I'm going through this earth living by the grace of God, allowing the power of God to work through me. Like Ephesians 3.20 says, that the power that works in us, he's talking about this Holy Spirit's power. But he says that we might receive, recompensed. It means to receive back what is due. Now I want you to get this. Something is due. Why? Because we have worked for the Lord. Something is due. What, what do you mean? 
Salvation is free. What do you mean you have? Because God has commanded us to work and he said, I'm going to recompense you. I'm going to, I'm going to give you something for your work. Well, I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Yeah, he would say, you're right. But th- in my plan, I've chosen to use you by the spirit of God to accomplish for me and I'm going to reward you. So we're going to be receiving back Though it is a mistake to think that our failures can never return to haunt us, it is equally an error to think that the purpose of the Bema might be to some way like God venting his anger. No, it's not about venting his anger. He wants to reward his children. He wants to reward us. One man said, The purpose of the judgment seat is to properly evaluate us to grade us that our position in the coming kingdom is made clear. In fact, he went on to say this. If you want a good example, it's like taking a college entrance exam for placement. Now think about that. You go and you take, you know, you want to go to a prestigious school and they give you a placement. What are they trying to do? They're trying to determine where you're going to stand in the class. Actually, what the judgment seat of Christ is, and I know this, I'm throwing this out, I want you to really, because I believe scripture is very clear. What he's doing, what this is about is your faithfulness here is going to determine your responsibility there. That though we all get the same inheritance, our responsibilities will be different depending on our faithfulness. Hughes writes, the judgment is not a declaration of gloom, but an assessment of worth with the assignment of rewards to those who, because of their faithfulness, deserve them and a loss or a withholding of rewards in the case of those who do not deserve them. That's again, 1 Corinthians 3. We read that. That the fire will burn. See, they, they could have had more. There will be loss. There will be even great loss. There are going to be tears in heaven. Why? Because people who knew could have had so much more decided to live for themselves. Let me just close with a couple illustrations and a couple final conclusions. First illustration, imagine a father who, by the way, he's righteous and just. This father I'm going to refer to as righteous and just. He's going to do his word. And he tells his son, his young son, you know, I have an airplane because he did. And he says, you know what? If you are faithful to mow the lawn consistency for six weeks, <laughs> six weeks, I'm going to take you on a really, really great ride on the airplane. So the kid gets all excited. But six weeks later, this is the boy's record. One of failure. He mowed the lawn only three times, skipped two weeks, and the last time only did it partially. See, the reward was even shown. I, if you do it faithfully, I, I want to teach you responsibility and I want to give you more responsibility, but you've got to be faithful. But he didn't listen to his father. The test period is over and the father tells the boy, boy what he should have already known, his dream of taking that fantastic flight has come and gone and he's not going to be able to do it. Because the father is righteous and just. He says, no, I told you if you did it faithfully for six weeks, I would take you on this great airplane ride. By the way, is the father angry? No, I don't think he's angry. He's saddened because he said, I want to reward you. See, it's not punishment. It's a true assessment. The boy could not be rewarded because he was not faithful. So Christ will not be angry with us if we fail him but he may be extremely disappointed with us 
And what may hurt the most is this, the look of Christ. All that you could have had, the fire, all that's left. So what are some lessons that we can learn today? Live in light of judgment. First, the person you are today will determine and impact the rewards you will receive tomorrow. That is absolutely a theme of Scripture. Again, not your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. Yet so is by fire. You'll be saved. Yet so is by fire. It's not about salvation. It's about reward. How about number two? Every day we live is either a loss or a gain so far as our future judgment is concerned. Stay focused. Stay faithful. That's why Matthew Henry, that old commentator, uh, said this, it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. Keep preparing, keep preparing, keep preparing. Or Jonathan Edwards, that old preacher as well, I am resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power and might and vigor and intensity, yea, passion I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. I, I'm, I'm preparing for the day of eternity. And then finally, rewards are not based on the results or the size See, there's no comparing. And, and, and just turn for my last illustration in Matthew 25. I, I want you to get this. There's no comparing. Rewards are not based on results or size, size of ministry, size of whatever your giftedness is. And Matthew 25 has to do with the opportunity to gain and the lost opportunity that you might have. Okay? Lost opportunity wasted opportunity and it's the parable of the talents by the way talents are not talents like this you know what am I supposed to be like a ballet something Brooke is like this <laughs> talents was just a form of uh, uh, a measure of weight for like either silver or gold in fact this one I think is silver because the word is used but but just get the end. I just want you to see, and this is, by the way, we may even preach on this, but just get the overview very quickly. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling in a far country who called his servants and delivered goods to them. The man is Christ. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. Verse 1, and to one he gave five talents. By the way, whose goods are they? They're his goods given to his, by the way, the servant is the word slave. To one he gives five, to one he gives two, to one he gives one. We're not going to worry about the one today. The five and two. Now think about this. One was given five weights of silver and the other one two weights of silver. Equal. Not equal, but I mean five and two. And they work. And when the guy comes back, verse 20, so he who had received five came and brought the five. Now the king comes back. The master comes back. The owner comes back. And now uh, is evaluation day. And the five got another five. Second part of verse 20. Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I gained five more. Notice what the Lord said. The master said, well done. Well done. Very, very good. Good and faithful servants. You were faithful over a few things. Now notice what he says. I will make you ruler. That's responsibility there. That's why I say what we do on this earth, I think prepares us for responsibility in heaven. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy. By the way, not only responsibility is found in the first, second part of verse 21, but also relationship. Enter into the joy of your Lord. 
responsibility and relationship because he was faithful. Look at the second one, though. Now he got two talents. Same scenario. He gets, had two. By the way, two means less than five, right? Some of us have five talents. Some of us have been given a lot of responsibility. That responsibility may be in the form of ability, spiritual giftedness, wealth, relationships. The idea is we have a lot. The point is not to get more than the guy with the two. It's to be faithful with whatever God has given you. Now the guy with the two. And what did he get? Well, he only got two more. No, no, he doubled. And what is the response? Exactly the same. This is so encouraging when I, I preached on this. Boy, did it, this week it was like, that is so great. You mean... I don't have to be in Rick Warren's church and be a pastor like Rick Warren of 20,000 people to hear, well done, thou good and faithful. Just be faithful for whatever God has given me. There's no comparison. In fact, I think sometimes carnal Christians try to compare ministry with ministry. That's immaterial. See, the encouraging thing this is this. If we're faithful, we can all hear, well done. Because it's not about your size when you leave this earth. I'm talking not your physical size, the size of your ministry. It is about, have you been faithful? By the way, there was increase, though. You know, some people are lazy, just hit it on it. What did he say? Wicked, lazy. No, no. There is increase. But the idea is this. Be faithful with what God has given to you. That means you're faithful with the relationships that you are in. Maybe you're a father, a mother, you have children, grandkids. Be faithful to do what God has said. How about your spiritual giftedness? Yeah, I see, I know what I'm gifted. And yes, I'm going to be faithful in my spiritual gifts. Exhortation, teaching, ruling. Well, also be faithful with the group of people God has given to you called the church. Do the one another's. When you see someone in need, encourage, exhort, pray for, confess to. Be faithful in the way you handle your finances. Don't ever get in the mentality, give 10% to the Lord and everything else is mine. <laughs> uh, no, it's all the Lord's. See, we have to be faithful because if you're going to be well done, by the way, and then greater responsibility in heaven. And I believe this, and again, this will be proven in an, also a greater relationship with Jesus. I'm not sure how to say that because we're all perfected, but the text seems to say this, that as we have been faithful, the connectedness and the ability to worship him becomes greater. And you can disagree with me on that, but the, the passage seems to say this, is as we are faithful, our responsibility and our relationship is enhanced. The point is this, what you're doing today matters for eternity. So let's walk with him. Let's stand as we worship. Let me just close with a very familiar passage. Because you might even be saying this. All right, I need to get really serious. But I've had so many failures. Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Everyone has the option, opportunity to receive teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, I would encourage you, deny ungodliness, deny worldly lusts. We should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, 
Look at this heaven's perspective, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would encourage whether you look at your life and you say, boy, I've just made so many failures. I would say Philippians says, forgetting those things which are behind. Start today. Start today. But you might say, boy, I've been running well, but you know, sometimes sin just gets, just creeps in. Denying ungodliness and worldly loss. Recommit to holiness. Recommit to being sober and focused. What is Ephesians? He's redeeming the time for the days are evil. And so no matter where you fall on the spectrum, make sure if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're not, you need to receive him and have forgiveness of sin. But if you are a believer in him, because that's what the judgment seat is for, I trust that you would walk away with just a great focus. Make it our aim to be pleasing to him. I know, and I'll just share this much. As I studied this out, I know even as I was worshiping, there was two commitments I made to him in that chair while I worshiped. Because there's things that are, that okay, Lord, I want to even become more serious in that area. Because it's that important. This little time on this earth of 50 to 80 years is in no comparison to the, the great weight of glory that's going to be there. So as I close, as you, just close your eyes, and I don't know what the Lord may want you to commit to, but I would encourage you to do it because we all stand before him. Father, you know our hearts, and we thank you for that. We thank you that while we're yet sinners, your son died for us and that you have called us to yourself not because we became better but because of your love and sacrifice on our behalf and that you gave us faith and repentance and father we ask that as believers as ones who are following you that would be very sober in our walk again we look forward to the day of seeing you we look forward to perfection in our inheritance and yet we ask that our works that are done by your spirit would be pleasing to you, that they would survive the fire, that we would be rewarded for all eternity. Father, some of us have not been serious about our Christian walk. I pray that we would be very serious at this point. And if we have failed and failed and failed, that we would confess, and as Proverbs says, forsake, because those will find mercy. And that this would be a new start a fresh start and a new beginning, even this morning, even right at this moment, that we will seek to forsake that which is ungodly and pursue that which is righteous and holy. Lord, sometimes we get caught in the ditch. We get caught in our sins, and we even cannot even imagine the day when we would not sin in this way. And yet, Lord, this can be a new, new start. Help us to be radical about our changes that you want to make in our lives so that we would walk in a very pleasing way before you, so that, as Timothy says, we would be useful to the Master. And Lord, if we have made those commitments at this very moment, I pray that we will hold to them, not just for this next hour, but for this week and month that will become habituated in our life, that we would live differently because we know that that day is coming, that we stand before you. So we just ask for your wisdom, your conviction, your transformation in our life, and your power to accomplish this. In Christ's name, amen.